Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me. Finally, um, it's the 25th of October, Friday. We're running a bit late this week, day late in fact. And um, if you didn't see the uh, tweet last night, there was a bit of trouble. <laughs> um, kind of literally being stuck out in the middle of nowhere. So um, we're out yesterday in Beaufort, Victoria. Um at the side of the Rainbow Serpent Music Festival. There was no festival, obviously. That happens in January. If you're into your trance music, I've never I've never been to the festival, but um, it was just out there helping a friend um, uh, service some shipping containers, of all things, just scraping some rust and stuff off them and everything. And, um, you know, another whole other story that, but it was good fun, nice weather, and just having all these um, fields just empty you know a festival site just all empty nothing there except for sheep (laughs) that was about it and a lot of cow a lot of cow dirt all over the place and um on the way back is where you know the car just ended up um conking out didn't start something to do with the battery we feared it might be an alternator problem but um yeah it was actually just the battery and you know the roadside assistance eventually rocked up an hour later we were able to fix get a new battery in there then yeah drove home back to back to melbourne so wasn't didn't even end up home until i think 10 to midnight um so long day and yeah at that time i wasn't gonna sit and record the podcast you know only six hours sleep before getting up for work today but um here we are anyway and it's quite the quite the big podcast too actually biggest probably one of the biggest weekends um as far as having three different types of racing on this weekend formula one supercars on the gold coast and the moto gp which is um at phillip island this weekend too so that's why i called it the preview show because we're only going to be previewing um all these events and why not start at the top with the mexican grand prix so four races to go in 2019 title decider you could say it's almost um it almost could be the title decider this race as it has the last couple of years and it's who else but lewis hamilton who's gonna take the chance to clinch his sixth championship in formula one third in a row as well um in mexico so that's quite important and three titles in a row as well you know 2017 18 and now 19 so all he needs to do simple equation rather than going into all the different permutations i'm sure you would have had a look on social media or some articles published on various websites and all that sort of thing about what they need to do what Hamilton needs to do to clinch the title essentially he needs to have a 78 point lead over Valtteri Bottas at the end of the race um, to be able to do that so for example if Hamilton wins Bottas has to finish fourth um, without scoring the fastest lap of the race either so that our fastest lap for the extra point that it provides it actually does make your calculations a bit more complicated and I'll talk a bit more about Hamilton shortly more so about um, some of the social media posts he's made during the week. Not going to give a negative take on it, just be warned. Um, you know, anyone expecting me to get fired up or anything about that sort of thing. I kind of looked at it and looked at the backlash and everything and I just wanted to... Yeah, I just was putting my... I was face palming essentially. I don't like using that term, but whatever. I was face palming essentially because I'm like, you know what, Hamilton he can do whatever he wants and he's actually doing something that's considered positive as well um you know about sustainability and carbon footprint and all that sort of thing and you know what formula one as well keeps getting negative press about you know their carbon footprint and also you know just being just motorsport in general is considered oh you know it's bad for the environment blah 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 but as you if you've heard this podcast um through the year i've talked quite a bit about how you know in this hybrid era for formula one how incredibly efficient these cars are and especially with the hybrid engine how much you know they've thermal efficiencies above 50 percent now which the um, internal combustion engine in your road car they haven't achieved that yet um within you know 100 years of whatever they've been developing 
them. So, you know, Formula One is taking these positive steps. You know, there are still areas that they could scale back or, you know, be a bit more sustainable in their ways. But I think where Hamilton is kind of getting at is, you know, your day-to-day stuff as well, just encouraging people, you know, especially with recycling, you know, with plastics. Um, I know I do a bit of, you know, composting here as well, uh, coffee grinds and stuff like that, you know, don't go in the bin anymore, you know, they get, I, you know, recycle them, use them as compost or whatever, they, green waste people take it, um, you know, e-waste as well now here where, you know, all electronic goods and all that sort of stuff are not allowed to be put in your, your general waste bins and it's, um, you know, not being sent off to landfill anymore, you know, encouraging people to recycle and whatnot and they get broken down elsewhere and the bits recycled reused i mean even the racv uh the roadside assistance bloke who was so helpful <laughs> gotta say when he did eventually make it um said you know if he takes the battery the dead battery with him that they have a way of breaking it down and recycling it you know whether it's the plastics and all that sort of thing so you know that's I think that's where, you know, Hamilton's message is coming from. And because I work, you know, in that sort of area, you know, with secondhand, like in secondhand goods and all that, um, seeing these sort of messages, I feel encouraged by it because, you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm pushing for at work with um, my team and everything and, you know, my manager and all that. But with everyone else you know they need someone you know with lewis hamilton's influence and stature or whatever to to get that message because you know no one's going to listen to me you know no one's going to listen to me on the street if i say you should be recycling and you should be this is how you should be reusing things you know plastic this that and that you know but someone like lewis he's well he's gone and split the you know split everyone down the middle you know you've got all these rusted on people who are like oh you're being hypo- you you're being hypocritical and all that um that don't want to listen or just giving him flack for it but it's not warranted you know everyone's entitled to their to their opinion and everything but you know he's trying we've got to give him that much and you know i'm sure he'll be a bit fired up this weekend too um with the title in his mind and you know mercedes haven't been really um on the front foot in the last few races even though they won the last two you know with hamilton and bottas in russia and japan you know on um, straight line speed and even just you know one lap speed when it comes to qualifying ferrari have been the benchmark since the um second half of the season started and spa you know race pace wise mercedes have been pretty strong still but you know you'd think that on a circuit like this where they've got that long straight you know there have been situations in races where if the ferrari's ahead it's pretty hard to pass you know and we saw that in japan with Hamilton stuck behind Vettel at the end of the race, you know, he was able to pretty much pull away from the Mercedes on the straight, um, and Red Bull as well, you know, in the past, they've been really strong here, and two wins back-to-back for Max Verstappen the last two years for those guys, I guess the big question is coming here, are they going to go backwards as a result of that Honda power unit switch, um, this year or can they be pretty much the same place they were last year you know they seem to be downplaying their chances a little bit at the moment but you know when when the cars roll out for practice i'm sure we'll get a better look at everything also a bit of weather around too that might be a bit of a concern and you know that's when you know you could kind of take mercedes back into the equation for qualifying and for pole position but you know we'd like to see a three horse race um for the win you know it's mexico's always been very crazy the run into turn one is chaotic there's been crash you know high profile crashes a couple of years ago hamilton and vettel came together and you know they basically vettel hanging on for dear life in the championship race you know had to do one thing to try and he had to win basically to keep his chances alive but um you know <laughs> he, he was far from it they're both at the back of the field and had to work their way through and in the end Hamilton had enough points to win the championship so you know it's not been great for Ferrari even though they were on the podium last year with both cars no win in Mexico since Alan Prost back in 1990 so in the hybrid era it's been Mercedes and Red Bull that have had the advantage so you know you'd come into this weekend if it's a dry race you'd 
probably say a Ferrari could easily win, but, you know, Lewis Hamilton, with that sixth championship in mind, could, you know, have a great weekend as well, um, his run of pole positions haven't been great, you know, he's been constantly reminded in the press and everything and the media about, you know, it's six races that he hasn't had a pole for, you know, what is pole though anyway, you know, you start at the front of the grid, it's not going to give you the points that you need on Sunday, you know, so Lewis can easily, I'm sure, race through it. I know it sounds like I'm probably waxing lyrical about Hamilton at the moment a lot. No, it's not the case. He is about to achieve a sixth world championship, which, you know, <laughs> second driver to do so um, in the history of the sport. So it's a pretty significant moment, you know, even though everyone can look back in hindsight and say, oh, you know, Mercedes have been so dominant and this year they had it easy because Ferrari didn't have their act together at the start of the year. Well, you know, that the onus comes down to the other team, doesn't it? The other drivers for making mistakes and not being there. Hamilton still had Bottas, his teammate, as competition and has done pretty well. You know, the start of the year was, you know, perhaps the strongest that we've seen from those guys in the last few years. You know, last year, year before, Ferrari had a pretty strong start to the year. But this year, Mercedes just went on that incredible run. Eight races without um, defeat, you know, between Bottas and Hamilton. So... It's really a testament to where they are as a team, you know, and also Hamilton as a driver. So, yeah, that's, I guess, the top three guys, uh, top three teams, I should say, sorted. The thin air, the high altitude, you know, pretty much nullifies power advantages. You know, they run Monza level, you know, they achieve Monza level speeds even though they've got the maximum downforce for the for the season. So... It's just a weird one, and it's it's pretty interesting that it's it's a pretty interesting circuit. I don't mind it, you know. In the F1 game it it plays okay as well. You know, you love the stadium section too. Those fast sections reminds you a little bit about Albert Park, I think, as well. Um, the Australian Grand Prix track, so not a bad little track. Um, but when you look in the midfield, I think yeah, McLaren seem to be the best of the rest at the moment. And they've actually, you know, the all the rivals have pretty much said that, yeah, McLaren is the the benchmark at the moment when it comes to the fight for fourth in the Constructors' Championship, which looks as if McLaren may have actually done it, which is fantastic. Um, so a bit of news that came in um, earlier this week was that Renault had both their cars disqualified from the Japanese Grand Prix. Both cars finished in the points, um, Daniel Ricciardo in sixth, or was promoted to sixth as a result of the Charles Leclerc penalty. So the reason for the disqualification is apparently after the race in Japan, Racing Point complained to the stewards. Um, they had some kind of inside information or whatever, or a disgruntled ex-employee for Renault came in and um, informed them that they'd been running this auto brake bias um application or whatever which is um under the sporting regulations or whatever is not allowed um you know brake bias is a function on the steering wheel now in the modern formula one car you know you might remember that it was a little um paddle or you know lever thing that was um on the side of the steering wheel uh, or underneath it um on the previous generation car before the hybrid era but um yeah now it's like a little dial on the steering wheel that they can use to adjust brake bias but the fact that Renault were had a function that could let it be done automatically you know some kind of trick sensors or whatever um you know the that caught the stewards attention you know when Racing Point brought it up and you know as a result they had their both cars disqualified which you know disappointing for Renault you know we've said enough about how bad their season has been Daniel Ricciardo Nico Hulkenberg still looking for a drive for next year as well um, so, you know, it's only made their battle with McLaren for fourth a lot harder, and, you know, at the moment now, when you look at the, the maths and everything, if anything, Renault have got to look behind them now and see Racing Point and Toro Rosso, uh, sort of looking to lock horns with the French team to, to go for fifth, you know, in the constructors, and that would be disappointing if Renault lose another position here, if Racing Point or Toro Rosso have a strong last few races of the season, then yeah, you know, that's going to be a big disappointment for Renault to finish down in sixth or whatever. Speaking of Racing Point, though, it's always um, exciting for that team because it's uh, Sergio Perez's home race, 
hasn't been, I guess, the best race for them over the last couple of years. And, you know, last year there was contact between Checo and Charles Leclerc that ended um, Perez's race prematurely. Um, you know, they can chase points this weekend, which would be good for them. You know, depends on how quick Renault are. Alfa Romeo as well needing a boost. You know, double points last year with uh, Marcus Ericsson and Charles Leclerc. Kimi Raikkonen, good form here. He was on the podium for Ferrari, of course, after his uh, win in Texas. So, you know, it, it's looking good, I guess, you know, when you look at the previous stats, but they've got to do something. And Haas, you know, as well, they're still struggling to find out what the problem with their car is. Only got four races to go, but, you know, it's important for them to to iron out, like, you know, iron these things out in preparation for next year because it's going to pretty much be a uh, evolution of this year's car rather than going for a whole new concept, you know, to see if they can just evolve this year's car and hopefully find the solution over the off-season or in these last few races so that they hit pre-season next year um, with the, they hit it running. So that'll be good for those guys. So really looking forward to these back-to-back -back races coming up now, even though it is a pain in the backside to get up for. Um, in the Americas, 6 a.m. start on a Monday morning um, for Mexico and for Texas, which will come after that. If anything, I think Brazil... Sorry, Brazil will probably be worse because that's kind of at a nothing time or nowhere time at, at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning. So it's kind of like, well, I can't even get in a full night's sleep before then and um, wake up the next, you know, halfway through your sleep to, to watch it. So, and no public holiday like there usually is with the <laughs> Canadian Grand Prix to get away with it. So, I guess it just, you know, it's kind of this, uh, the way to show you that it is nearing the end of the F1 season, um, four races to go, um, you know, we're already at the end of October, so... December, I think the first weekend of December or first day of December will be the, the end of the season with um, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. So, you know, championship-wise, it's all done and dusted, basically, just waiting for Hamilton to clinch his sixth title. I guess you can keep an eye on, you know, the battle for third in the Drivers' Championship, Leclerc, Verstappen and Vettel, with Leclerc sitting pretty at the moment where he is. But I guess there's a lot of off-track stuff, too, that's going to be very important in, um, you know important to follow i guess over the next few weeks um, especially with october 31st the deadline for the 2021 regulations being um, announced or at least you know put into concrete um you know 2021 is going to be a massive year you know and the next 18 months i guess you know you've got so many drivers off contract um, especially at the big teams you know vettel verstappen hamilton they're all off contract bottas off contract as well um, there's going to be a lot of vacancies at these big teams, you know, and with no idea of what 2021 will bring as far as the championship is concerned, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, that's going to be the interesting thing to follow. Um, I think for next year, the 20, the qualifying race idea has sort of been abandoned. Um, not hearing much about that anymore, so I guess that's been put to bed pretty quickly. But you know what? They're still open. Like I'll still be open for them to try different things if they if they come up with any good ideas. Still love my top ten shootout idea for select races. You know, I've been plugging it a fair bit um, over the last few podcasts, but you know why not? <laughs> All right, so that's the F1 part done. Um, yeah, just rain, I guess, if it hits the weekend, if it affects the race, should make it interesting. But, you know, given the form that Ferrari have been in, it'll be interesting to see whether they can get up there. And, you know, how does Lewis Hamilton respond, especially after, you know, the week he's had with all the feedback he's been getting about his social media posts and everything, which, you know, again, I'll reiterate that I agree, you know, I, you know, I might not agree with everything or, you know, like him, you know, in a fan, sort of fanboy way, um, I do respect where he's coming from, and there is a lot of it which which makes sense, and, you know, kind of stands in line with my own beliefs as well, as far as um, sustainability and um, recycling is concerned, so, yeah. So, heading into the supercars component then, um, this week, Gold Coast 600, second round of the Enduro Cup, and, oh boy, since Bathurst, there's been so much so much to talk about and I 
sort of gave you my spiel about it, my shtick last week, um, what I thought of everything. And, you know, since then, uh, we've had the hearing last weekend and we have had sanctions laid down to DJR Team Penske. So it was a $250,000 fine with, you know, $100,000 suspended until the end of next year or something. 300 teams championship points taken away as well, even though they've still got a, a sizable lead over Red Bull Racing, um, who are in second. And, of course, a further penalty for car number 12. So they finished sixth in the race, did Fabian Coulthard and Tony Dalberto, but they've been uh, shoved straight to the back of the grid, so no points for them there. Um, it's only been made worse for, I guess, those guys who, you know, just, they were the sacrificial lambs. You know, Coulthard, the sacrificial lamb, he, you know, that should have been, I guess, in my opinion, perhaps the penalty should have been harsher on the team. I know there's been people out there who've been debating and also, you know, on the article that I posted last week as well, um, it's been raging on all week, which has been good to see and read everyone's comments and feedback and everything, but... Um, you know, there's been a few people that have been saying that, yeah, they should have stripped the win from, from Scotty McLaughlin, which I don't believe should have happened because, you know, Scott was not the orchestrator of the, of what happened. You know, if anything, they should have been excluded from the team's championship because that would have, you know, hurt them for next year, essentially, you know, that would have been a, it would have been a strong punishment. But again, $250,000 is apparently the biggest fine in supercars history. So, you know, they've come out with a bold statement um, by doing that. So you just hope that they, um, we don't see anything like this again. And I think, you know, just having a quick laugh with somebody, um, you know, a few days ago saying, look, you know, they probably would have got away with it if, he didn't back them up as much as he did, you know, Coulthard, the way he did it was that it was so blatantly obvious that they were all, you know, he was holding them up, and, you know, the commentators at the time, um, anyone watching the TV at the time would have been like, what the, what the, you know, what's going on there, what's happening, and, you know, then you'd figure it out, oh, you know, he's trying to create a buffer between um, himself and his teammate, so his teammate can go ahead and pit and not be compromised by car number 97 who you know Shane Van Gisbergen at the time they would have had to double stack at Red Bull and could have potentially compromised Scotty's race which you know ultimately it didn't you know even if even if they had pitted Shane at the time it might not have happened so a lot of what ifs and hindsights but I guess we can move on from it now you know we can talk about it at the end of the year um, if we really need to but it's it's done it's dealt with might not be happy with a penalty, but, you know, that's that's like anything, you know, you're not always going to get the, the best possible thing, unfortunately, you know, and especially in sport, you know, there's always winners and losers, and, you know, even though Scott will be remembered as the, and, you know, Alex Premer, of course, be remembered as the Bathurst champions for 2019, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at it and say, you know, oh, that they, but that was the year that the team cheated, whatever, and people have not been afraid to use that word, you know, we're talking about social media before with, with Hamilton, and people are not afraid to bring out the big words, and cheat is a big word, you know, to use, especially in a sporting context, especially in a professional sporting context, because, you know, you think of all those big names that have been busted cheating, and, you know, doping, and all that sort of thing, and the, the penalties that have been applied to them, you know, for example, in their respective codes, I mean, Look at Formula One and what happened with um, Renault 2008, Flavio Briatore, Pat Simmons, you know, both banned, you know, at least Simmons was allowed to come back eventually and now he's uh, working with Formula One itself, you know, in the technical department with under Ross Braun, but, you know, Briatore, he, he can't ever <laughs> run a team ever again in Formula One, so, you know, that's, that's, you know, goes to show you the extent of the penalty you can get, so... You know that you're going to be punished for doing it, so why do it? Don't. It's not worth the risk. You know, it's not worth the risk. Anyway, sun surfing supercars on the Gold Coast, and hopefully not a repeat of the downpour that we had last year, where the Sunday race actually was cancelled halfway through it. You know, it was just that bad, and I still remember that. Um, sun, you know that. Oh, what's the word? It it almost it was depressing. That's all I could say. But that that sunken. F sunken look on Paul Dumbrell's face, you know, when he crashed out and got out of the car, 
because he knew that at the, I think that was the moment he knew that he was done um, as far as being co-driver was concerned you know it's not been it wasn't the you know most pleasant couple of years you know especially with the near misses that they had at Bathurst and also all the the dramas with Jamie Wincup who was his co-driver um, those years so yeah it was good of them to get the win at Sandown last year but um, not good for PD but you know he gets he got to go out as a as the Bathurst winner, winning it in 2012 with with Win Cup and, you know, great run of wins at Sandown, you know, they've won some surfboards at Gold Coast as well, and that's what I love about the Gold Coast event is that instead of trophies, you get surfboards, you get proper surfboards, how cool is that? So, yeah, in the practice sessions today, the um, weather looked pretty good, so, you know, hopefully that doesn't play an issue there. Um, it's a different challenge, though, Gold Coast. It's a street race, of course, um, two races across the weekend, both 300 kilometres each, so by no stretch are they easy. They are proper endurance races. You know, you get to the top 10 shootouts before both races to determine the top 10. A lot of safety cars, a lot of crashes, a lot of chaos. That's the norm, and it's pretty much survival of the fittest and the smartest as well. Stay out of trouble, you'll be fine. So, you know, you look at the teams that are in form, you know, can DJR Team Penske back up the form that they had at Bathurst? Last year, I think this wasn't their best circuit, you know, on, on the Saturday when they did classify the results. Um, Scotty was like fourth or fifth or something um, in as the best place car. You know, their issue or that their objective in that race, you know, I was watching the replay the other day, was to just purely finish ahead of Shane Van Gisbergen as far as championship was concerned and there is a chance for McLaughlin to seal the championship this weekend which would be abnormal that'd be really strange um that, that's how dominant he's been all season is that he has a chance to actually seal the deal this time in well this time tomorrow he could be possibly two-time supercars champion so I think Shane Van Giesbergen has to be classified as a non-finisher or score no points um, in other words in the first Saturday race and Scott McLaughlin has to finish first or second or something along those lines to be able to clinch the championship not likely but given that this is Gold Coast and things can go wrong I wouldn't you know it could potentially happen so you know you'd look at those guys you look at the Red Bull Holden Racing Team, Tickford as well, because Chaz Mostert won here last year, just looking through the results now, so um, Win Cup fastest in the first practice, Garth Tander in the co-driver only session, so Garth Tander obviously with Shane Van Gisbergen, but then you had the usual suspects, James Moffat up there with um, Chaz Mostert, Prema, Dalberto, Jack, good to see Walkinshaw as well, um, Jack Perkins up in fifth in that session, um, Jonathan Webb in the techno car, also in the top six, and then, you know, in the f uh, third practice session, we had both Walkinshaw cars in the top ten, so Scotty Pye and also James Courtney sharing the car with Jack Perkins in that session, so they've typically gone really well here as well, you know, um, you look at the last time Courtney won a supercars race was on, I think, 2015 in Gold Coast, that's going back a fair way. That that doesn't seem right. I'm going to have to look that up now. Give me a second. I'm going to just look that up just to confirm because it has been a while since James Courtney has won a race. Um, you know, and it has been a while since Walkinshaw have won a race too, but let's have a look. Um, no, 2016, sorry, Clipsal, obviously, because he wins at Clipsal all the time. Well, he hasn't really for the last couple of years, but yeah, so Adelaide in 2016 was the last time Courtney won but for Jack Perkins I guess the last time he won in supercars was Surfers Paradise in 2015 so I wasn't too far off um, that little statistic there so no they go typically well here so it'll be interesting to see how they go um, and you know Tickford also you know Moffat and Mostert, Caruso, it was a shame because, you know, what happened with those guys in Bathurst because Caruso and Cameron Waters were really quick too, so they'll hope to stay out of trouble and potentially get a good result, finish on the podium this weekend as well. And, you know, don't rule out, I guess, the Davison brothers either, and same with um, Lee Holdsworth and Thomas Randall. So we also had, um, in between weeks, we also had the uh, Rex confirmed the racing entitlements contracts confirmed as well and sad I guess was the news that 
Gary Rogers Motorsport will not be in supercars for the first time since 1996 next year, you know, and GRM, I guess, a team that everyone's fond of, almost like a second favourite team for everyone, certainly one of my favourite teams on the grid in supercars, um, they'll be leaving, unfortunately, because it's just become unsustainable for them. It's good that they'll be still kicking around in motorsport because I think motorsport in Australia would be nothing without, um, or totally would be, totally would be joyless without the involvement, um, without the involvement of Gary Rogers and his uh, son Barry there too. So, um, yeah, I don't know really what more to say. They've just had an incredible run, you know, obviously with the Volvos back from 2014 to, to 16 was really good. Um, really put them on the map as well as far as, you know, reviving their brand. Um, and Scott McLaughlin, of course, at that time was, you know, the rookie in the car for them. And, well, not really the rookie, he was in the second year, but, you know, he was that young up-and-coming driver that announced himself um, with the Volvo cars. But, um, yeah, just really sad to see GRM um, depart next year. Still got a few races left this year to, to make an impression. But it'll be good. They'll be doing um, Super 5000 or S5000, I should say, next year as well as TCRs. And, you know, we saw TCR and S5000 at Sandown a few weeks ago. And James Golding, one of their drivers, actually um, winning the feature race or whatever was left of that feature race on the Sunday um, or I think it was Saturday, I don't know, one of the races he won, so he's been really, doing really good for them, but Golding has said that he does want to continue on in supercars, so he'll have to look for a home elsewhere, um, Team 18, the Charlie Schwerkold team have confirmed that they're getting a second wreck next year, um, Kelly Racing already said last week, switching over to Ford, they'll have two cars, one of them has been confirmed, Rick Kelly will stay, and drive, and we'll have Castrol backing on the car too, and then of course, you know, Matt Stone Racing looking at getting one of the Kelly Racing old wrecks, got two cars at the Team Sydney, thanks to Techno, so the grid does look like it will have a minimum of 24 cars, uh, one of which will not be a third entry for Erebus, so they're not doing that next year, so, you know, 24 cars is still a decent grid, it's a healthy grid, you know, you don't want to go too much more especially you know if they're not going to be at the pointing end of the grid or you know at least fighting for wins and stuff but you know supercars are still very tight as far as their parity is concerned and also how closely you know when you look at qualifying sessions say at Simmons Plains for example in Tassie where it is so close to each other you know it's just a testament to the category and then you know this year they had to go and do all the the changes especially with the Ford Mustang Anyway, I'm not going to get into that now. Had probably heard enough of me talk about it across the year, and I'll probably have one final big rant at the end of the year when we do our little review. Supercars are so hard to predict anyway, so I'm not going to go and make some bold predictions, especially on the Gold Coast where it is a street race, and, you know, <laughs> it's going to be chaotic, so um, hard to make any sort of predictions. But it'll be exciting. It always is exciting to watch, and... You know, I'd love to go and tick that one off the list too. And, you know, I mean, I don't get around as much as other people do with supercars. But what have I done now? So, Sandown, I'm up to... So, I did it in 13, 15, 16, 17, 18. So, I'm up to my sixth Sandown 500 this year, which um the next enduro race on the calendar um, in a couple of weeks' time. So, six Sandown 500. I've done Winton, I've done Bathurst in 2015, Grand Prix might as well throw it in there now that it's a championship round, so as far as Supercars championship rounds are concerned and at the Grand Prix I've done two of them <laughs> um, because it's only been championship round for two years, you know, even though I've been to all the Grand Prix since 2012, um, well that's my streak at the moment since 2012 it's been ongoing. Um, and then the Bend Motorsport Park I went to this year in South Australia. So there you go. I've been to, what's that? One, two, three, four. Hang on. Winton, Bathurst, Sandown, Bend. 
Grand Prix. So I've been to five supercars events on the uh, on the calendar. Of course, Winton, so five ex- existing events because Phillip Island got the boot, but Winton is still on there. So technically, yeah, five out of the 14 rounds I've been to. <laughs> not in the same year, of course, though. Um, so yeah, Gold Coast would be one I'd like to tick off. Just, you know, not that I think much of the Gold Coast anyway. Um, and it's just uh, not my scene, really. Um, I'd love to go see the supercars there. That would be quite exciting. You know, same with Newcastle. I don't think there would be much um, that I'd be interested in to see in Newcastle. But wouldn't mind going for the supercars. <laughs> I'm sure it's lovely. I'm sure it's lovely. So, you know, one day we'll get there. Anyway, before I start planning my next motorsport trip on air, well, you know, my next motorsport trip, is Bathurst 12 hour next year anyway so nothing there's nothing gonna I'm not gonna do anything in between for between now and then so yeah unless something spontaneous comes up you never know maybe Newcastle no actually I can't I'm away in Sydney that weekend but technically I'm close to Newcastle but I've got other things that I'm doing in Sydney that weekend so anyway uh, now I'm just getting off track so that's it for supercars let's take it back to two wheels or let's go over to two wheels now talk about moto gp australian grand prix preview phillip island one of the best races all year again unfortunately i will not be going this year got other commitments but that's okay i'll watch it on tv and i'm gonna promise i'll go next year i really do i want to see valentino rossi before he retires i want to see him race before he retires if I can get a signature from him, that would be even better. What I do want to do next year is I want to buy that Valentino Rossi bucket hat that Lando Norris wears and get Lando Norris to sign it at the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, just that's gonna that's gonna bring a tear to my eye, you know. I'm sure Lando will flip out as well. Oh, I don't know. I think it's it's late, and uh, well, it's not really late, but you know, I just feel a bit. I feel like Kimi Raikkonen at the moment, you know, I just, you know, it's a bit too difficult and, um, you know, it's a um, Anyway, three races to go in 2019 with um, the MotoGP Championship. Marquez, Mark Marquez, of course, has already clinched the title back in Thailand. Yep, back in Thailand. God, I'm getting, I'm getting lost here. So he's up to four wins in a row now and he comes to a track where... He hasn't really had the domination that he has had at other circuits over the years. So Marquez, you know, since 2012, we've had six different winners at Phillip Island, but only Marquez has won twice, but they weren't in succession either. So Phillip Island is always like a wildcard race. Moto3 style closeness, like how close the front pack is all together. And I guess that's just due, due to tire wear and all that sort of thing. So, you know, you expect, you know, maybe four or five bikes potentially fighting on the final lap, you know, for the win of the race, you know, you could see guys like Fabio Quattararo who fell off the bike today. It was pretty nasty, but hopefully he um, he's okay. And he's pretty much been the second best rider in this second part of the season. He's been consistent. He's still yet to win a race. He's been on pole position. He got mugged on the final lap. And that's, you know, mug is the term that we're going to use in MotoGP now when it comes to losing the race on a final lap. He was mugged by Marquez in Japan. He was mugged by Marquez in um, Thailand as well. So I'm hoping, even though he did injure himself today, that he's okay. And I've got my tip on Quattararo winning this Grand Prix. So we'll see next week when um, I come back on air if I got that right or not. But, you know, it's always such a great race because of how unpredictable it is. Again, you know, three races this weekend where you can go in and say, oh, it's unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, but Mark Marquez, his form has been sensational. Four wins in a row, it's it's quite dominant. But um, given that, you know, you've got so many contenders that can be fighting at the front towards the pointy end of this race, you know, you can throw in Maverick Vinales, Ducati is always there, Andrea De Vizioso, I guess, and Alex Rins throw him in there too, and even Jack Miller, he just automatically does better at his home race. Even though we haven't seen him on the podium before, I think he might be a chance to finish on the podium this weekend, so, you know, it's always a great race to watch, it's so exciting, uh, I guess people who won't be in contention, sadly, is 
the doctor himself, Valentino Rossi, who holds the record for the most Premier Class wins at Phillip Island with eight, but he hasn't been on the podium this year since round three and going back to Texas at the start of the year. So, you know, it's his 400th Grand Prix this weekend, um, unique milestone, a lot of change happening for him next year. Obviously, you know, Yamaha, they're trying to change the bike and improve it, but um, there'll be a new crew chief for Rossi next year. Uh, Davide Munoz stepping up from the, his uh, Sky VR46 team that's in Moto2, and I think he's with Nico Borliga, so stepping up from there over to Rossi's bike, uh, Silvano Galbacera stepping down, of course, who kind of led the revival for Rossi in 2014-2015, you know, where um, after his long time, crew chief Jerry Burgess, um, the Aussie, uh, left, you know, or was dismissed or whatever, you know, because Rossi needed a change. But I've I've said it before that, you know, I guess why Rossi's gone a bit stale, you know, if not if it's not for himself, which I doubt. I think he's still competitive, but just the direction in which they've taken the bike, I think he's just surrounded himself with with a bunch of yes men who have just not had the the gall to stick up to him and say no I think we've got to do it this way and you know Rossi can't be right about everything not everyone is right about everything so um, perhaps that change is going to be good for him next year because of course it is the final year of the current deal that he's on he's turned 40 this year could you see him race into his when he turns 42 in 2021 you know, Burgess has come out this week and said that uh, he feels that Rossi's raced, uh, raced on a bit too long. So, you know, who knows? Um, but next year's got to be... You can't really expect much more this year. Next year's going to be telling when it comes for Valentino. If it's going to be a swan song, if it is going to be a swan song, then at least go out in a winning way. You know, be winning races, podium, because the championship's definitely out of reach for him, but... To be able to finish um, finish on the podium, win races if you can, would be pretty good. And yeah, 2017 Dutch Grand Prix is the last time you won a race, so that is quite a while ago now. And, you know, close to matching, you know, that um, winless streak that he had when he switched to Ducati those years, 2011-2012. So, yeah, hopefully we do get to see Rossi... Um, undergo a bit of a revival for 2020 but for now I guess could be an outside podium chance but I highly doubt it for this weekend so with the championship itself um, done and dusted I guess the question is who's going to finish in the minor placings and Davizioso is on his own in second but third there is a bit of a fight you know um, for that you know you got uh, Maverick Vinales, Alex Rins in contention, Fabio Quattararo um, can still finish P3 overall as well, and he's fighting with Jack Miller to be the top independent rider for the season, so they've got 38 points between those two and a total of 75 points on offer, so, you know, if Quattararo does bag a win um, in the final three races, who knows, maybe Jack Miller might be able to get up there and win a race as well, um, uh, you know, that could be the Independent Riders Championship done. So, you know, but Quattararo's had a sensational year and he's behind, you know, Vinales and Danilo Petrucci as well as Alex Rins. But, yeah, when you look at all those guys, they've just had an inconsistent second half of the year. You know, Davizioso has won a race uh, back in the Czech Republic, I think, um, or wherever he won last time, but it's just been been awful, you know, and there has been a bit of word floating around, floating around that, you know, perhaps he's at loggerheads with Ducati management now and potentially could be on the move, um, not for next year, but at the, end of ne- at the end of next year, you know, because, you know, they had this window, they had this opportunity to go for the title, 2017 was perfect, you know, as, as it was with Ferrari in Formula 1, you know, they had this opportunity to take the championship and um, basically choked when it came to the uh, the crux of it, so, you know, they, they're going to have to do some soul searching, and then of course, as a result of that, there's been some interest by Ducati and Maverick Vinales potentially to come over and join the fold, get a young rider in who's been strong, you know, obviously, Yamaha are not going to let Quattararo go. Um, Vinales, I guess if they don't hang on to him, then potentially, yeah, you could see him go off to a Ducati. They've already blocked off the idea of Jorge Lorenzo potentially returning to them. 
Um, it's not in Ducati's interests, they say, to have Lorenzo return. So, you know, there's going to be quite, as with F1 in 2021, MotoGP in 2021, there should be a lot of movement as well. And if, you know, of course, Valentino Rossi decides to retire, there's that ride at Yamaha available. You know, you could see Quattararo, Vinales' as teammates, potentially. If not, then, you know, who else can step up into Yamaha? Does Lorenzo potentially make a return to Yamaha in 21? So, here's a scenario for you. Vinales goes off to Ducati to replace Davizio. So, you know, can, um, can Vinales go over to Ducati... Uh, sorry, Vinales goes off to Ducati to replace Davizio. So, or Lorenzo... Um, who comes over to Yamaha? Can Lorenzo potentially make a return to Yamaha? Where does Dovi go? Does he go to Honda? You know, go back to Honda? <laughs> you know, be teammates with Marquez potentially? Um, or is, is that the end for Dovi? Is he not going to be able to to have another chance at a title? Who knows? There's a lot of hypotheticals out there. Jack Miller, you know, where does his future lie to? Could he potentially end up uh, on a Ducati or have the opportunity to go to factory Honda? And then all the other young riders that are stepping up. So, you know, you look at who's out of a ride for next year is Johan Zarco. And he, you know, he gets to deputise for the last leg of the season um, at LCR Honda for Taka Nakagami, who's going to be getting some surgery done. Hopefully that all goes well for him. But, you know, is bringing Zarco into the Honda fold a, um, a little threat, you know, or a shot being fired across the bow of Jorge Lorenzo, uh, potentially telling him to get his act together for next year. Otherwise, we've got this Zarko guy who's um, pretty handy as well, you know, two-time Moto2 champion. So, um, you know, that's totally, you know, Zarko putting himself in position there. And, of course, it's sad that Zarko doesn't have a ride for next year anywhere just yet. Who knows? He might end up um, getting something or some wild cards. But, yeah, for Zarko not to be on the grid full-time next year is a bit of a shame. And it's a bit sad, of course, how... His tenure at KTM came to an end so abruptly and so, I guess, um, emotionally as well, you know, the hearing him literally begging the KTM chiefs to, to let him go, you know, and they let him go indeed, so I just have some lyrics stuck in my head now, but I'm um, going to have to, not going to sing it on air, no, let's go heat in Cambria actually, that uh, last album was really, really good listen to it at least once a week anyway um speaking of ktm the 2020 lineup they've confirmed their lineup with across their two teams so the factory team and of course they've got the tech 3 satellite team so brad binder from moto 2 will step up into the factory team which um certainly came as a shock to his ktm stablemate and former moto 2 rival in miguel Oliveira, who's had a pretty decent year on the um tech 3 um, bike this year, but um, he'll stay on the Tech 3 bike next year. He'll be partnered by uh, this chap that I didn't really pay much attention to this year until they announced him as being a Tech 3 uh, MotoGP rider, and that's uh, a Spaniard by the name of Iker, um, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, Iker or Iker Lecuona. So I'm looking at his statistics now, his um, scorecard for 2019. Doesn't look too impressive. He's had a few, you know, quite a few points finishes, but only one podium, which came only a couple of races ago in Thailand. Um, he's sitting 11th in the championship at the moment too, so not the most impressive, but I guess KTM want to take the punt on him and um, see if... Uh, sorry, KDM want to take the punt on him, see if he'll, uh, if he proves out to be all right. Because as I've heard, or as we've heard, that there's been a few riders who've uh, actually turned down the chance to to ride with KTM next year, whether it's on the um, the factory bike or even, oh sorry, on the factory team or even in the Tech Three team, including Remy Gardner, the Aussie. Um, the son of Wayne Gardner, the champion. So Remy opting to stay put in Moto2 and on a top Moto2 bike to try and win the championship. And I guess you got to really um, understand, I guess, yeah, for some of these guys, winning those minor championships is important. 
Unfortunately, we didn't see that with Jack Miller, who, you know, he lost the championship in the final race to Alex Marquez that year, and then the next year he stepped straight up into MotoGP um, on a factory deal with Honda. So, you know, but Jack's done all right. You know, he's nowhere near a championship at the moment, but he's won a race. He's uh, been on the podium a few times as well this year, so... It's been a pretty, it's been a pretty good ride for him, and, you know. We still got three races to go, still an opportunity for him to to win this year, but um, we just have to wait and see. So, yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Um, glow, glad I kept it within within the hour. You know, did a bit of rambling, of course, and um, you know, yesterday was interesting. Glad to have made it home. You know, I mean, these days, mobile phones, you can do anything. You're stuck in the middle of no... If, what was scary is when having no reception at the festival site, you know, you had to literally go on top of a hill to get reception, you know, and luckily the car didn't break down there. But, um, you know, when you're out in those parts, you know, just be careful, I guess. But it is, it is very... It is very enjoyable and relaxing to step away from, you know, the hustle and bustle and everything and... I've been waxing lyrical about that quite a bit the last few months, especially since I had the last trip away, you know, and just being away from a big city and hordes of people for for some time is quite nice. So, you know, it puts you in touch with nature and everything like that, which is quite important. And, um, you know, I guess to, to bring it full circle again, you know, you kind of understand where Lewis Hamilton's coming from when it comes to preservation and this sort of thing, you know. You look at those beautiful landscapes and all that, and you're like, well, you know, the only way to keep them the way they are is to not bloody leave your beer cans over the place or rubbish and stuff like that. I mean, that was probably the worst part of the National Park in um, Port Lincoln was, you know, campers and stuff just leaving their rubbish all over the place you know beer cans which you know they're no good you know they don't break down but also just for the wildlife as well it's it's awful so anyway before this we turn into a environmental crusader on this podcast i'm gonna let you guys go stay safe hope you have a good weekend um if you're gonna watch all three events um hope you enjoy them if you're gonna watch maybe one or two of them you can still enjoy it if you decide not to watch any of them We'll hope you have a good weekend, whatever you do. And um, <laughs> we'll be back next week to wrap all those events up and um, see what else is happening in the world of motorsport and in the world in general. Hopefully I don't get broken down next week if I end up going out of town. But anyway, thanks for tuning in and um, we'll see you guys next week. Ta.